listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Well, good morning. Oh, that's right. There's a lot of people that are probably cold this morning. So I'm one of the pastors here on staff. My name's Alex. I work mainly with the children. Uh, I do want to say that when Thad said you can wear any costume, he does not mean any costume. Uh... <laughs> Just making sure, like, that said I can show up, I want to wear this. No, no. Uh, appropriate and non-scary. Okay. So we do want to be a blessing to our community and not scar the children in our community. So with this uh, today's sermon, I feel like I'm trying to compact three into one. So we'll see where this lands. Uh, so we've been on this series for a little while now of the having a relationship with a God that you can't see. And pieces of this sermon have been the ideas of faith, like it's a starting place in this relationship with God, it's faith. And then it's, how do you hear from God? How do you have a relationship with God? What's God's will in your life? Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. What, uh, in Sermon Club this last week, Adam asked a question of like, what are you taking away from this series? I was thinking about this morning. And one of the things I took away from this, I'm taking away from this series is these questions is something that we all ask. That we're not alone in asking these questions. That we're unsure sometimes how to have this relationship with this invisible God. That you are not alone in wondering about these things. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about crisis crisis of belief. And so what I want to say this morning is that you're not alone when you question things about your faith, when you question things about what is God doing. You know, there's a situation in my life I just don't understand that you're not alone in asking those questions. So this idea of testing, and I just want to say, uh, this morning I'm going to really focus on the idea of testing and not really on why do bad things happen. Um, Sometimes I think it's good within your community to talk about, is this testing or what's going on here? Because sometimes our perspective might be off uh, just because of what's going on in our life that we need people to kind of come into our life. As a pastor, I had some interesting conversations about, with, about people with God. And so I remember talking with this one guy and he has some very difficult things going on in his life. His relationship with his kids and his wife's situation He's like, well, God is really telling me to go through this thing. Like, he, he wanted me to be th- going through this. And I had to tell him, you abusing your wife is not what God wanted. Like, you're going through this thing because of this choice you made. So all of our things that are going on in our life is not necessarily brought from God, but we can learn from. So I really want to focus on this idea of testing. And so testing, when sometimes we think about testing, we think if we pass or fail if we're good or bad about that thing going on in our life. That if we're right or wrong. And I want to introduce to you, like, testing itself isn't something of where, like, if you don't get it right, like, you're a failure. Because that's what I think of testing. Like, I'm a person, like, when I take my classes, like, I want to make sure I get the A. And so when a professor has, like, a hard... I'm I'm in the middle of my um, getting my degree in counseling right now. And so when a professor has some of these questions about like this thing, like, or this or that, and I just don't know the answer. It's like, oh, I failed. I don't know, I'm not good enough. And where I want to invite you into this guy, idea of testing with God, 
It's not about being good enough. That God kind of teaches us two things from it. One is we know we're at with him. We just know where we're at. I think a few weeks ago, I preached about that. This idea, it's like, it's good to know where you're at. Because you are where you're at right now. That's where you're at. From here, you can move forward in some direction. The second part of testing that's good is that we get to learn a lesson from God. That God cares enough about us to bring our our potential into actuality. He cares enough about who you are to look at you and say, oh, I know the potential you have. I care about you enough. I'm not going to leave you and have you stay there, but I'm actually going to bring you into the actuality of that potential because that's the type of God that we serve. The hard thing about that is it's not necessarily easy. It's not the comfort way of moving into something else because if you're like me, if you're comfortable, you just stay there. You don't move. You don't grow. You don't change. It's that stirring, it's that difficulty, it's that whatever's going on brings me to something new. So we're going to be looking at this uh, couple of stories throughout Exodus. I really enjoy looking at uh, the Israelites when they go into the desert because I think it's a really good representation of our walk with God. And we can learn a lot of stuff from it. And so God is going to test the Israelites. And James, James talks about testing in a way that's supposed to be joyous. I think he's crazy. I think sometimes you can look back on it and realize that it's something that was good. But joy, I don't know. But what is it supposed to do? Testing is supposed to create perseverance. It grows our faith, develops us in some way, gives us a new perspective about God. So we look at these stories here uh, in Exodus. And so, um, so we have where the Israelites are right now is they just left Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They went through this dry land with water on both sides and they walked out and they entered into the desert. So there's three tests that happen between the Red Sea and Mount Sinai. And the tests are about water, food, and water. There's this kind of pattern going on here. So I was thinking about this. They come out of the Red Sea and they're in the desert. And we'll read the passage here in a second. Um, And they go, they're thirsty. So Marty Solomon, some of you guys may know him. He's a president of Impact Ministries. And what he's done when, when I look at scripture is he's helped me look and ask questions. To ask questions, because sometimes like you've read the same story over and over and over again, and you read it like, oh yeah, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. So one thing I'm already done, like ask questions, dive deeper into the passage itself. Is there something there? And sometimes like the best questions for me to ask is like, where do I see problems in the story? Where do I see like, this, this seems odd for some reason. What it leads me to sometimes is maybe the author has an idea of trying to bring something out, trying to share something. The author's like, I want you to see something in the story about God. Where like as Westerners, we really like, why don't you just give me the point A, point B, point C, and then call it good. And where Eastern writing is a little different. It's kind of hidden there. There's something hidden in it. And the author gives you hints about where it's at. So I was thinking about this problem. Because when I read through this passage, 
kind of quickly. I think, oh yeah, the Israelites, they came out, they complained, whiners, whiners, whiners. And then I was thinking about this. So if I was to take my kids and wake them up in the morning and say, we're going to the beach. So get ready to go to the beach with me. And then I'm like, I'm not going to pack food. I'm not going to pack any water. So how long do you think it takes for my kids to start whining and complaining about it? <laughs> Seconds. Probably not even pulled out of the driveway yet. <laughs> and so you have God here that's going to take this group into the desert. Does he not think they're going to complain? Is he not going to think they're going to whine? Like, I know with my kids, that's what's going to happen. Doesn't the all-knowing God know that there's something else? Like, they're going to be this way? Like, is he shocked that they complain? So I have to think that maybe there's something else going on in this passage. So in Deuteronomy 8, it talks about looking back onto the section of Scripture. That testing... Like the reason is testing is to know what is in your heart. Like when he looks back, and Deuteronomy when he writes about it, it's like, they're going through this because they want to know what's in your heart. Same question, doesn't God already know what's in your heart? Why does he have to test you to know what's in your heart? This idea of knowing is not this intellectual idea of knowing, information. It's the idea of experience. That like God wants to experience what's going on in the Israelites' hearts. And it's the same word used to describe the relationship between a man and a woman, the intimate relationship. That there's something deeper going on here, there's something more relational going on here that God is asking, is testing the Israelites for. So let's go ahead and read this first passage here. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, name, for, therefore, his name Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule. And there he tested them. So before Moses came back into Egypt, what was he out doing? He was out herding sheep. Do you know what area he was herding sheep? Desert, around this area. Do you think Moses knew that there's a well here? Probably. There's a good chance he knew that there was this well here. And so I'm curious as he's going this direction, he's like, no, I know there's a well up here. We will get water will be provided for, will be fine. And then they get to this well, and it's bitter. Think of you're in that situation. You're hot, you're thirsty. You were promised something. It's like, like the same like the parent, I get like a parents taking the kids. Like, oh, there's this place I know that we're gonna stop, and it's closed down. Like, we can't stop there anymore. What are your kids going to do? They're going to whine and complain. You said there was food there. You said there was water there. You said we could get a snack. 
It's not going to happen. And so this was the first test. Let's read the next passage. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we have that we would have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard you, your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us. We're going to come back to the section of scripture here in a little bit. But there's a really interesting piece of idea of collecting manna. That just enough. That you have to collect just enough for that day. Would you be willing to trust God in that? That they've never seen this stuff before in their life. And now God is saying that every day it will come. We will trust God that you have enough for that day. So look at the last test here. And the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandments of the Lord, and camped at Revedim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you, therefore on the rock at Horeb. And you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it. And the people will drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called on the name of the place, Massah Merabah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they test the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? I want to focus on this idea of the testing, the Lord among us or not. So the Israelites spent 430 years in Egypt. That is a long time. I also want to throw out there, the rabbis say they spent 210 years. So if you want to study that and ask why, there you go. But they spent a long time in Egypt. America has been around for how long? 240 some years How much have we changed 
as a culture, as a nation in 240 some years. God said a lot. <laughs> 240 years is a long time. Do you think Egypt rubbed off on the Israelites? Do you think they questioned about who God is during this time? What God is like? So Egypt, they believed in many gods, polytheistic, that there were a lot of gods there. My belief as the Israelites walked out of Egypt, they got to know who God was through the plagues. That this God is a God of destruction. This is a God of war. They walked the Red Sea. He's the one that killed all the soldiers and Pharaoh. That this is the God that Israelites knew. My belief is, with this testing, is that God wanted to introduce his whole self to them. After this last testing, there's a, another war that happens. And there's no grumbling in the war. Like, if I was a grumble about something, I think I'd be grumbling about having to go fight in a war. Like, what? Can't God, can you take care of this yourself? You did the Red Sea. Can you do something with the sand? Do something else? I really don't want to fight. But there's not any of that. Like, they just go out and do it. Like it's, I think it's really easy for them to see God in one way. That this is a God of destruction, but is it a God of relationship? Because we ask the question of these testings, like is God among us or not? Okay, what do you have going on here? When you're going through the desert, you're following a cloud and you're following a pillar of fire by night. Isn't God right there? Didn't you just walk through this Red Sea with the parted waters? Didn't you see all these miracles happen? How can you not believe that God is among us or not? I think for us, it's really easy to believe sometimes that God is in some things and not other things. There's some areas of my life where I can trust God and areas that I cannot trust him. That I have to do things on my own to make it work. And so when I was looking at this passage, looking at some other people's thoughts on it, one thing I never noticed before was this pattern. There's this pattern in the different tests. Who did the Israelites grumble to? Moses. They grumbled to Moses. Let's read this passage. And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has already heard your grumbling. And as, and, and as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Why are they grumbling to Moses? Why aren't they talking to God? 
I believe this is a lesson that we should learn from them. That God is among us and he'd rather have you grumble to him than something else. When I talk about this idea of crisis of belief, as you question things, bring it to God. God is asking you to grumble to him. He still, he hears you and he meets you where you're at. He brought the Israelites water and food and water and provided for you, for them. Because Moses is like, who am I? I'm just a person. You need to grumble to the Lord. And what I love like reading through the Psalms is that David, the man after God's own heart, he grumbled a lot. He talks about his enemies coming against him. How shall I stand? Where are you, Lord? In our crisis of belief, what I think we have a tendency to do is isolate ourselves, for one, from other people, but also from God. Because I need to figure this thing out. I need to question if this thing is right or wrong. I do it alone. And where we have a God that steps into our life and says, no, I am here. I am with you through all of this. I'm not just a God of this part of your life. I'm the God of your whole life. I'm a God of every part of your life. Like, can you believe that? So I want to look at that third trial, that third test. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it. And the people will drink, and Moses did so. In the sight of the elders of Israel, he called the name uh, of the place Massah, Merabah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? So there's really interesting phrasing in the Hebrew when it comes about the idea to strike the rock. So the elders and Moses took off and they actually walked like 14 miles. I know it's like one little piece, but they walked 14 miles to get to Mount Sinai where he strikes the rock at. And in this phrasing where the Hebrew is at, what it does is the strike is idea to kill. Moses did that back in Egypt when he killed, he struck the Egyptian, same type of word. It's a strike to kill. So God is asking Moses to strike the rock to kill. But what he does is, in the passage in the Hebrew, the way he's striking is that God is saying that I'm going to be between you and the rock. I want you to strike me like you're going to kill me. I'm going to stand between you and the rock. I'm going to take on this burden. I'm going to take on this pain. I'm the one that's going to take this on itself. Sounds kind of familiar. that this God is willing to die for us, to take on our quarreling, our questioning, our complaining, to provide for us, to take that all on. Let's look at James here. Or not James, but John. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, for if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have have spoken to you that you uh, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I choose you and have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. That when Moses strikes this rock and water comes out, that the image that God wants his people to see is God is willing to take on the destruction. Well, the Israelites know him as the God of destruction. He's also the God of sacrifice, willing to stand in the place. Like with this interesting piece of, I always have a hard time with this verse in John. Because when John says, I call you friends, like, do you ever feel like you deserve to be called God's friend? Of course you don't. But he does anyways. He calls his friend. So from the time of the Israelites, from the time through Christ, he keeps bringing us into relationship. He wants to have a relationship with you. And so we look at this crisis of belief that we have in our lives. What he does in the midst of this, and he invites you in to be a part of it. He wants to be a part of your crisis of belief. That you don't have to do this all on your own. So right now in your life, like think, like what is going on in my life where I don't feel like God is there? Where I'm not sure he's there? Have you invited him into that piece of your life? Because like some of us, like I have people I know because of the stuff they've gone through, when it comes to finances, they could be going through something that I would seem so stressful and they're like, ah, no, God provides. I have no problem there. I already know God provides there. But when it comes to relationship, I don't know if God's there or not. Like, how is God going to step into this whole relationship issue I have with my friends, family, kids, parents? I don't know where God is in he, over here, but I know God provides here. God is the God of all. He's in every aspect of your life. If you're going to grumble, grumble towards him. So we have a time of communion here in a minute. And our communion is open for everyone. So if you say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you believe that he's the Son of God, please take a communion with us. The servers will pass them out, pass them down the row. Just take and hold on it so we can take it together. So I have just a couple of kind of next steps in this. So the first next step is be honest with God. Who are you grumbling to? If God was teaching the Israelites who they grumble to, is it to Moses or is it to him? That's something that we should learn for ourselves too. So the Israelites believe that for the kingdom of God to come, there's three things that have to happen. 
The first one is that God's finger has to move. The second one is that, that God's people have to call on the name of the Lord. And the third one is obedience. That second one is important. For God to move to bring kingdom, that we have to call on the name of the Lord. And I think, looking at the rest of scriptures, that the Israelites learn their lesson through this. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. I went down there. I was right there. Um, and I think the Israelites learned their lesson through this. Because when they made their own mistakes and their own problems, what did they do? They called out to the Lord. For God to move in your life, you have to call out to him. So sometimes I think it's really easy to blame or complain to other people. Like, and I, should, I, I want to say, though, like we should have community involved in the conversation. But when we grumble, we need to grumble towards God. We need to be like David in the Psalms and lay it out there for him. Because he hears our grumbling. He hears it. These three tests, even though they were grumbling, he answered them every single time. He brought water, he brought food, and he brought water again. Oh, it's like the same test twice. They still didn't get it. Imagine if you're like me, you experience the same test over and over again sometimes. But I need to bring it to the right person. That person is God. So the second step here is trusting the story. What, who are you leaning into? Because it's really easy to lean into our own understanding, our own way. I look like the Israelites, when they left Egypt, it was really easy to lean back into what they knew back there. Because back in Egypt, they had all the good meat. They could eat to their content. Like, why don't we just die back there? What do we lean into? Because it's true, if testing is us to learn a lesson from God, if it's to take our potential that he sees in us into actuality, there's something for us to do, and that's to lean into him but also trust the story that he's telling in your life. Do you believe that he's telling a good story in your life? Do you believe that he's actually taking you from the place you are now to something else? When I think of pain, I think of suffering. A lot of times I think there's, it's useless. There's no point to it. But when I hear over and over again from people that claim that Christ is the Lord and Savior, a lot of times more from people that knew they didn't grow up being a Christian, but it's people that became a Christian later in their life, is now when they look at these issues in their life, these problems in their life, they're actually like, I actually have purpose here. Through this stuff, there's actually purpose going on. There's not just pain for pain's sake. There's not just suffering to suffer, but there's purpose in my life also through this whole thing. I like the idea of the manna in the desert, saying the idea, does God provide enough? Is he enough in your life? Is his daily bread enough? So when we take communion, 
I'd like to reflect on it a little bit. Let's look at some promises that were made. That God call us a friend. You lay his, his life down for us because he wants to have a deep relationship with us. I also look at it in promises I made to him, believing that this was enough. And I, need me, I need to be reminded of that every week. That when things happen in our life in crisis, that's meaning like, who am I going to lean into? What am I going to lean into? That I told him at one point, I'll lean into him. This morning, maybe before you drink the cup and eat the bread, just ask a question. At this point in your life, what's going on in your life? Am I choosing to lean into you, Lord? So Jesus said with his disciples, and he took a piece of bread and broke it. And said, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember him. And then he took a cup. My blood poured out for you. Let's remember him. Lord, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, have you stepped into this world? That you've been pulling us in a direction to have a relationship with you. That you're not a God of just a couple things, but you're a God of everything. That you're a God, you wanna be a God in every aspect of our life. Lord, as I grumble today in some way, because I find that hard to believe, as I look at my own life, Lord, there's some areas where I just don't trust the story. But Lord, can you help us be a people that lean into you? That say through this, we're not gonna isolate isolate ourselves from you. But even though the grumbling is their lights, Lord, you answered their prayers. You answered their grumbling. So Lord, with this congregation, with these followers of you, Lord, whatever is grumbling in their life right now, Lord, will you answer that? Will you show them you care enough about them to test them? That you see so much potential in them, potential that they don't see in themselves. that is for a purpose and it is for a reason. That we're not alone in this universe, but there's a God that stepped down and loved us. Thank you, Lord, in your name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.